The following For the City Church sermon is part of our summer sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising, entitled Under the Sun from the Book of Ecclesiastes. We hope you enjoy it. We've been going through Ecclesiastes. I got to tell you, this book is a little wild. If you're not familiar with it, I cannot recap the last 10 weeks, right? Um, But you can go back and listen to them if you want. You may already be familiar with it. But really, this week, we're going to come again, once again. He's like a broken record at this point. He's talking about the frustrations of life living in a fallen world under the sun. That's one of his favorite phrases. And when I say his, I mean the preacher, the teacher, Kohalath. Some believe it's Solomon. It's his favorite phrase to describe life apart from God. He's, He's trying to find life, enjoyment, happiness under the sun, but not walking with God. Have you ever been there? Every one of you have been, right? Some of you may be there now. Can I just, spoiler alert, it doesn't work, right? Solomon had way more bandwidth than you and I could ever imagine, right? He, okay, money, he was a 2.3 trillionaire. That's some bank, right? So if you're like, what if I just had another 100,000? He had 2.3 trillion. Not that exciting, right? If you have another 100,000. It didn't work for him. He was like, what if I just had a wife? He had get this, 700 wives, 300 concubines. I'm not going to explain that. I explained that in another sermon. But let's just say 1,000 women at his disposal. He was king. Can I just tell you right now? It's good to be king, I've heard. I would have no clue, right? I I try to care for my home. But this man ruled. And he said, listen, it's it's all vanity. Now, some translate that meaningless. I think it's a bad translation. It's enigmatic. It's really hard to understand. About the time I think I've got life figured out, he's like, it's a vapor. It's a a mist. I grab it. I think I got it. I can see it. And it's gone. And so he moves on to something else to make him happy. And he's like, nope. And now we're getting to the end of the book. And he's sounding a little depressed. And he might be. He he really might be. So let's jump into the text. We're going to work our way through it. Uh, Point one, it's just called Not So Quick. Right? Look at 11 uh, through 12 for now. He says, again, <laughs> again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken up in an evil net and birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Let's just look at that for a minute. Um, if, if you were listening to Colton Reed, you were picking up on the proverbial tone of this text, right? Um, if you're familiar with the book of Proverbs, it's really what you can expect most often if you do this, right? Almost always, this is what happens. If you save your money, you'll have money. If you do this, you get that. Ecclesiastes is not like that at all, actually. It's, it's the exception to the rule, right? If you do A, you get plus two, you get I don't know. That's really what he's saying. He's like, I've done the whole Proverbs thing, and it's not always the case, right? Um, so, so think about it. What, do you know what the, one of the biggest industries happening right now in, let's say, volumes of books and information? It's self-help. It really is. You want to know how much money they're making right now? About $11.6 billion in the self-help industry in 2019. Estimated to be $14 billion by the end of 2025. Now, 
If you just think about it, you know it's true, right? If you see the ads on your phone or on television, if you still watch ads on TV, I don't, and I'm thankful for it. Um, but books, commercials, magazines, if they still exist, it's, it's really everywhere, you know, how to be a better you. Self-improvement, by the way, if we could be real, feels pretty exciting, kind of hopeful, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be good. That's why we all get excited about the new year, right? Because we're going to make some, I'm going to read my Bible twice this year. Uh, I'll just read it in January and then I'll take my time through the next 11 months and I'm going to pray for 20 hours a day and work for four and I'll sleep when I you know, go to heaven maybe. Um, it's, it's the whole Nike Christian, let's just do it, right? Because and, and, Christians get wrapped up in this stuff. They, they really do. They put Christian spin on it. Um, but, but I got to tell you, uh, the preacher comes and he says, ah, I got to burst your bubble. You ready for some news? The fast they don't always actually win the race, right? We know this, the tortoise and the hare, right? Um, we've seen it in the Olympics, underdogs win, horse races, things like that. He says the strongest don't always win the fight, right? I think of Mr. T, and, or Clubber Lang, I should say, and Rocky. No one expected Rocky to win, Rocky won, right? If you haven't watched that movie, you've had plenty of time. Um, David and Goliath, David and Goliath, right? Um, the wise don't always have a full fridge, he said. The intelligent don't always have a big bank account. Um, Nikolai Tesla died almost penniless. But they're making some bank off him now, right? I mean, they're making some serious cash off this man. But he, he died broke. Uh, listen, those who have knowledge don't always catch a break. That's what he's saying. You could do all the right things. And you should seek to do these things. But don't expect that that's going to guarantee you an outcome. That's his point. He's saying that human ability is no guarantee for success in life. Now, I see some of you young ladies here, and I'm guessing you're from a college because you're first Sunday here. But there's other people here It's first Sunday. And, and you're bright with the future, right? And you're like, if I'm going to do this and I do this, I'm going to get the life I've always wanted. And you might. You might. Or it could just be a disaster. And you're like, I came here to get encouraged. Well... You will. Hang in there. But, but what is he saying? He's saying time and chance happen to all of us. Now, I hear that, and I think time and chance, it sounds like fate, right? But, but the Bible doesn't really teach that. Coalesce, when he says time and chance, really means the time of disaster. Time and chance. The, the evil net, like the birds are going to get caught. They're gonna get, they, were, they were doing great. They were flying one day. The net catches them. Fish are swimming. The net catches them. They were enjoying their lives under the sea, right? And all of a sudden, everything changed. And, and the point is, is that when, like, when suffering or evil comes knocking, it will come knocking at your door, not when you expect it. Every one of us are one phone call away from our lives changing in ways you and I don't even want to think about. And I don't have to push this. Like, think about the pandemic. Can you even remember life before the pandemic? I can. I lived a lot of years before the pandemic, right? But life has changed since that moment, right? Now, I think we're coming out of the haze of a lot of that. But I got to tell you, I woke up one day and everything just shut down. And it was like, ah, oh, this would be like, what, 48 hours, maybe. And no, it was much more than that. I was thinking about a friend of mine who uh, yesterday... She was just reminiscing uh, on the life that she had been giving with a husband that, man, when I grow up, I hope to be like this guy. And he died from COVID. And she was thinking and grieving the loss of that, but very thankful for the year that the Lord has given her because he has given her much mercy and much grace to just really make it one year. And, and she was 
praising God for the church that she has and, and for the word of God that was to sustain her and all these different things. But listen, every one of you are one moment like that away. You don't believe me? At 23 years old, I got hit by a drunk driver, broke 18 bones. Prior to that, I was an athlete. Not really. Eli's an athlete. I was not an athlete, but I was decent. I was decent. And, and now, you know, then I'm waking up, 18 broken bones, wheelchair. It takes me a year to learn how to even walk again. You're, you're one moment away from that. And so what's the point? Are you just trying to make us depressed? No. But what I think Solomon really is trying to get us to see is that putting your hope in living your best life now, here, under the sun, is very shaky ground. It's just very shaky ground. Uh, it, it doesn't work. We live in a fallen world. Um, many unhappy things happen every day. Think about it. Natural disasters, right? Military conflicts, economic downturns, right? Bad leadership within countries, um, cancer car wrecks, you name it. Life is unpredictable and its misfortunes, listen, they are inevitable. You can't escape them. If you live long enough, you will suffer. And, and, and that's what he's saying. All throughout the Bible, we're told to expect this. We're told to expect the unexpected. When hardships come, even when it seems kind of out of nowhere and you can't even see it, we shouldn't really be surprised. But can I just tell you that on the flip side of the coin, listen, when life is good, you shouldn't always be thinking that everything's going to just crash tomorrow. He's saying, enjoy the life you have. Enjoy the life you have. Enjoy, last week we heard, enjoy the life that you have been given, right? Enjoy a glass of cab. Enjoy a sunset or a sunrise if you like to get up early, right? But no matter how smart, no matter how gifted you are, no matter how much money's in your 401k, there may be a day not too far away, that changes everything. All right, I think he pounded that point home, right? He continues, though, because he wants to make sure you get it. He wants to make sure we get it. Ecclesiastes 9, 13 through 18, he tells a little story to illustrate. Uh, it may be true, don't know. Uh, but he might have just been using it as an illustration to, to make sure you understand. He says, I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered the poor man. <laughs> you think that he'd be honored, right? Maybe build a statue for the guy. He saved the city, but no one actually remembers him. Nope, they're just back to life. But he says, but I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. I skipped one line. Let me redo that again. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The wisdom of the wise is heard and quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Listen to this last line. It says, wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. See, there is value to wisdom. Uh, Koaleth has been really working through, is there even value to any of this wisdom? But he's saying, no, there definitely is. But what he's saying is it's limited. It's limited, right? Um, when the evil day comes to besiege you, you must know how to respond in wisdom. When suffering comes, you must know how to respond in a way that, that magnifies Christ, right? And we see that throughout the Bible. We see how Job responded. And we can look at all these different things, the Apostle Paul. But how about you? How will you respond when that moment comes? Well, 
Thankfully, we have more of the Bible than just Ecclesiastes, right? The Apostle Paul says this. What does it look like? He, he tells us to be strong in the Lord, to stand firm in the Lord. Listen to Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. He says, finally, so, so okay, so suffering's coming. It, it's all around you. Maybe your family's falling apart. Your life's falling apart. What do you do? What do you do in that moment? He says, finally, be strong in the Lord. He's talking to the church. The church is suffering at that moment. And in the strength of his might. And he talks about something you've probably heard many times. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. He says, take up the whole armor of God. Listen, why? So that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. How do, you, how do you withstand it? In one way, you can't really prepare for it, but in another way, you absolutely can, right? I think once you first get hit with it, it, it takes the breath out of you. You almost just can't. You're just reacting. You're trying to survive in that moment. But when you finally catch your breath, what must you do? You must be strong in the Lord and in his strength, not in your own strength. Worldly wisdom will get you so far in life. But when, when you can't think, what you need in that moment is truth and you need grace and you need to find that in God's word. And that's what it means to put on the armor of God's word. The battle's not always for the strong and that's good news for you and I. Because if we could be real, we're weak. We're weak. You and I are limited. God is limitless. And so we need his strength. And we need to praise God for his mercy because it's never our great wisdom that gets us through the moment. It's that God in his kindness keeps us in his hand and he never lets go of his sheep. And he walks you through the valley of shadow of death. He leads you by green, you know, still, still waters, green pasture. Why? Because he's a good shepherd. And so we praise God for his mercy. I was talking to a friend of mine this week. Um, man, I had a great lunch with this guy. And he had pastored for like 38 years in a town that I used to pastor in. So I just love getting time with him. And he's going through a big season of suffering right now. And it, and it broke my heart. And yet he just looks at me with like, not like a weird smile, but just a smile that everything's going to be all right. He, he knows that I've been here. I've done that. You know, Scott, there's many trials of life, right? We're promised in the word of God, but the Lord is faithful. And he just kept talking about the Lord's faithfulness, even in the midst of his suffering, even in the midst of his trial. And I'm like, here I was trying to take you out to lunch to encourage you. And my heart needs to hear this. And that's how it works. That's how it works. And this man has stood strong in the Lord. And yet this man's not that impressed. If you saw him on the street, you would not be that impressed. But I got to tell you, when I grow up, I hope to be like that man. Why? Because he trusts the Lord in ways that I've not seen suffering like this man's seen. And I'm like, man, God, you are faithful. And so we sought to really just reminisce on God's goodness and that his mercies are new every morning. So if you're in a moment of season or suffering, um, God is good. He is sovereign as well. And if you have those two in your mind, if you can understand that God is good... How do we know his goodness? We look to the cross, and we'll make sure that we discuss that and unpack that every time we get together. But we look at the cross, we look at the empty grave, and we realize, yes, God is good, but he's also powerful. And so if you're in Christ, he's for you, right? If you're trusting in Jesus for your salvation, he's for you. He loves you. He's working all things for your ultimate good to be more like Christ. And so he even takes these moments of suffering, and he brings beauty from ashes. 
So you can trust him. And if you can trust him with your salvation and your eternity, you can certainly trust him in the season that you're currently in. No matter what season, whether it's joy or whether it's clouds of darkness and despair and they don't seem to leave, he is good in every season. And so therefore you can trust him. So the second point, he continues, and we're just going to tackle all of chapter 10 now. We're just going to work our way through it, and then we'll, we'll learn a couple of things. Second point is this, a little folly sure does stink up the place. Look, you'll see where I got that. You see folly in the streets, right? Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. A little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. He's linking that back to verse 18 in the previous chapter. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart inclines him to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. Now, pause. Listen, you wonder if he really does that. Like if he's just like walking down the street, I'm a fool, I'm a fool. My guess is no. My guess is no. But if we could all be real, we've been driving down the streets of Greensburg, and we've seen someone we said, man, that guy's letting everybody know he's a fool. He's just a fool. I'm not going to give you ways that you can recognize that. It's pretty obvious when you can see it, right? You may have been that fool. I know I have been that fool. I've been that fool many times in my life, right? He, he, he's just, he's so obvious about it. Now you don't have to walk down the streets. You can just post your foolishness, right? You can let the world know you're a fool on like, I don't know. There's so many different platforms. I can't keep up. You know them though, right? Um, he's announcing to the world. She's announcing to the world, I'm an idiot. Look at me. And, and so, okay, he continues. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offense to rest. All right, so now he's about to enter into, okay, that's folly in the streets, but then what about folly in, like, the higher places, right? Well, he says there's an evil that I've seen under the sun there, too, as it were in error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in low places, I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking around the ground like slaves. By the way, don't, don't think for a moment there that he's like, man, he's, they're like Jesus. They got off the horse and they let the poor people sit on the, the horses, right? Wouldn't that be nice? That's not what he means at all. He's saying there are people in positions of power that don't belong there. Like, you have people on the ground, like, marching when they should actually be sitting in the place of authority because they actually know what's going on in life. But instead, they've surrounded themselves with a bunch of clowns and these clowns have worked their way up to a place where they have prominence now and now they're ruling and you have tons of people that are way more intelligent for this job and they're cleaning toilets. That's what he's saying. He said, that's a scary place to be. I've seen it in my own life with a company I used to work for, but don't have time for all those stories. He continues... He goes, well, okay, but you could, essentially now he's going to say, you could be doing honest work, but that could still, time and chance could come for you too. He who digs a pit will fall into it. A serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. Okay, like, what does that even mean? Well, you're trying to add an addition into your little cave maybe, and you're starting to pound through, and there's a viper there, and he bites you. You're not doing anything wrong. It's just, there it was. I dug a pit trying to catch an animal. I fell in it, broke my leg. I died, right? Well, this is a bad day. He who quarries stones, okay, he's working hard. He's hurt by them. And he who splits logs, okay, he's a lumberjack. This is good. He's endangered by them. It crushes him. He, what is he doing? He's just trying to get some wood for his house, for a fire, something like that. Doesn't matter. He had wisdom. Doesn't matter. It happened. Okay. Now he says, but you should get some wisdom. Look, because he says, if the iron is blunt 
And one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed, right? I, I get this. I used to trim Christmas trees when I was a young guy, a long time ago, right? And we had these machetes. I can't believe they gave 14-year-olds machetes, right? But they did. And, and so I would spend the first, let's say, 15 minutes of the day sharpening, and then you would dip it in oil so that it would just slice through the Christmas tree really good. And then at lunchtime, I'd always scrape off all the sap, and I would continue to do that so my arm didn't want to like fall off at the end of the day. But there were a couple of young guys that were with me, and they had this blunt, right? They might as well have been like swinging a tree branch at the thing. And, and they're like way back here in the rows and complaining all the day of how hard it is to cut these trees. And they just need to take the time. But they got out there because they wanted to finish quick, right? And, and they had to work the same amount of hours as I did because someone would come pick us up, right? So I don't know what they were thinking. That's his point. That's his point. If you're going to chop some wood, take some time, prepare the axe, and then do the thing, right? Don't just go swing a mallet at it. You're not going to get very far. All right, so these are all just little bits of wisdom for you, right? If you're ever going to be chopping wood today, right? Um, <laughs> so, all right, let, let's keep going here. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to read the rest. You can follow along. His point is this. It's good to get some wisdom, but, but here's why I love this preacher. He waxes so eloquently when he says about his, this little stench of folly. Look at the first line again. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. How true is that? Wisdom is sweet. That's what he's saying. It's like perfume. Think that's, so they didn't have little spritz, right? Axe for guys, that's garbage. But, right, th th they had like ointment. You would put like a lotion on and, and it would, be, it would you know, make your skin shine and you would smell real nice. He's saying, but if you get a couple of dead little flies in there, it's going to cause it to stink. You probably need to dump it out and get some more. Wisdom is sweet like the fragrant of a perfume, but he's saying it doesn't take much foolishness to stink up a situation like maggots in a trash heap on a summer day. That's his point. I know that's, that face is how you should feel when you hear that word. He wants you to think that way. He wants you to recognize you can live your whole life pretty wise and it takes one moment and you blow it and you just stunk up the whole thing. I've seen it happen to families. I've seen it happen to families. One moment of temptation and a man or a woman does something they ought not do and they just like a grenade going off in their family's house ruin the family. Just one little moment. I've had 10 years of doing really well, 10 minutes of not being very smart. And he's saying, well, that's what it's like. All it takes is one rash word, one rude comment, one hasty decision, one foolish pleasure or angry outburst to stink up a beautiful day. I can tell you because I've been the fly in the ointment. Man, we have, we have had moments on a vacation where I'm just tired. And I should have probably hydrated better. And I just say something real quick with my quick tongue. And then all of a sudden the faces all turn to a frown. Right? I know none of you have done that. So praise God for you. <laughs> but, but I have. Oh, how we need so much grace. You can have wisdom, but you need grace. You can know all the right things. I knew I shouldn't have said it, but pff, real quick, right? Have you been there? I have. Well, good thing that, that he continues, right? But what's he saying? He said, one commentator said this. He said, it's easier to make a stink than to create sweetness. Isn't that so true? Just think of your relationships. It's hard work to have good friendships, but it's easy to blow them. It's easy to blow them, right? It, it, 
if you want to walk with God and navigate life wisely, then you got to know this. It's important to understand the difference between wisdom and folly. And he's trying to teach us here. See, many people can distinguish the difference between good and evil, right? We can see that. Like, we watch Laura Ingalls on television. We're like, oh, she's so good. We watch a movie where the girl's head turns around and her arms do these things. We're like, that's evil, right? We get it. It's pretty easy to understand, right? But, but, but sometimes the difference between wisdom and folly is, is not always so easy to tell. So we have to understand the difference between the two. And so we need a definition of folly, a biblical definition of folly. A folly or a fool, according to the Bible, is simply someone who is, it's not just that they're not the brightest crayon in the box. They might be super intelligent. They might be super bright. Folly doesn't always show up on an IQ test, okay? So, so it's a little trickier. Um, I know some very intelligent fools. You may too, right? Um, instead, the, the term really refers to someone who lacks a proper fear of God. It's really what it is to be a fool. Um, and therefore, they're often headed in the wrong direction of life, even though they know better. And, and, and that's what it means to be a fool. Uh, throughout Ecclesiastes, the preacher has um, he's really unpacked what a, a fool is in different definitions. I'll give you a few. So he would say a fool is lazy. Uh, he says that in Ecclesiastes 4-5. Uh, he's, he would say a fool is ill-tempered, right, in chapter 7, verse 9. He would say he's morally blind, right? He knows what's right, but he just turns a blind eye to it. He says that in 2.14. He refuses to take advice from people, even people who love him, right? And, and so here's the tricky thing. Um, foolishness is not just silly. I think we think that often, and sometimes it might be, but it's actually it's sinful, it's, it's much worse than silliness. And, and that's what he's really driving home here. And so we can learn from the book of Proverbs uh, a couple more things about fools. And I'm not going to give you all the, the different addresses, but they're in the book of Proverbs. If you want it, I could send it to you. But fools desperately need to learn sense, but instead they hate knowledge. They're complacent, easily frustrated, reckless, careless, and crooked in speech. Fools are prone to a hasty temper. Anger lodges in the heart of a fool. A fool's lips, listen, I love this, walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. That's in the Bible. Get that on a tat. Um, the fool despises instruction. And once again, even from people who desperately love them. Most, right? Um, and then, therefore, they bring, they bring misery to themselves and the people who love them the most. A fool is like an archer who wounds everyone. A dog that returns to his vomit to eat. Ugh, right? Yeah, think about that. Let's just think about that for a minute. Um, the dog eats something. It makes him sick. He, therefore, you know, you get the picture. And, and he's so foolish, he goes back, not to the food that he just ate that made him sick, but to his vomit. Yeah, okay. The reason these are good, because it really paints an image. And then you should say, okay, I'm like that when I do that. Oh, I don't like to think like that. Yeah, but that's what the Bible is trying to get you to see. Now, by the way, the temptation in this moment is to think, I know Susie's just like that. She is like a dog that just returns to her vomit, right? And you just do the thing. But no, we open the Word of God to have it read us. If you think every one of you, including me, acts with wisdom in every way every day, you, my friend, are a fool. You're a fool because it's just not reality. Maybe 90%. That's, that's amazing, by the way. If you're knocking it out of the park at 90%, I applaud you. 
We all have foolish ways. And, and the Bible is using these, this type of language as smelling salts to get you to wake up to your foolishness so you can change by God's grace. He says, it's better to meet up with a she-bear robbed of her cubs than a fool in his folly. It is the fool who says in his heart there is no God, and therefore his life is not pleasing to God. Those are all from the book of Proverbs. One was from the book of Psalms. Okay, so he continues. Here in 10.2, look what he says. He adds that the fool is directionally challenged, right? A wise man's heart inclines him to the right. By the way, this is not a political text. Oh, how I have seen it used as a political text. Because it says, but a fool's heart to the left. Right? And you could figure it out. I don't have to explain. You're all intelligent people of how people will use that. It's not what it means at all. Right? It's not, it's not at all what it means. What does it mean, though? Well, a wise man's heart inclines him to think a right, a right way to do things right. But a fool's heart leads him left or astray. That would be a better way to think. Think about Psalm 1. I'm not going to unpack that psalm for you. But, but there's a way that we know is right, and we walk on that straight, narrow path. This leads to life. This is good. But a fool says, I'm taking the off-ramp. I want to go and play in the land of folly. Okay? So that's what he's saying. It's not a political statement. He's saying a fool goes in the wrong direction. There's plenty of examples of this in the Bible and in your own life, no doubt. So this begs the question. It really does. Which direction are you headed? You. Which direction are you headed in life? You really should ponder these things. Most often we don't ponder things like this until tragedy hits. It, it makes a lot more sense to, to ponder this in the moment before you're about to crash and burn. So which way are you going? Are you moving towards temptation or away from evil? That's a question you should ponder. Are you moving forward in discipleship? Or are you drifting away spiritually? Even if you're here on a Sunday morning doing the churchy thing. Right? You, it's so easy to fake it. That's why many people have quit, by the way. Quit faking it. They quit going to church. They're like, it never meant anything to me anyway. The pandemic was a great reason to just hit the eject button. So they started to do online church. And before you know it, Looney Tunes is better than this guy. So I'll watch that. And before you know it, they're off in Never Ever Land. And they're just doing what they want, right? Are you drawn closer to Christ and, and the church, which is his community, his family? Or are you going off by yourself? You have to ask yourself this. Because only a fool goes in the wrong direction when he knows which way he should go. Which way is your heart leaning? Your heart, right now, in your life, and in every situation. Are you moving towards Jesus or away from him? You know. You know. It's not like you don't, you, I don't know, let me think about this. No, you know. Nobody stays neutral. You're either moving intentionally towards Christ or you are drifting, I promise. Like a ship out at the sea with no anchor touching the ground. That's what you are if you're not moving towards him. Do you have a growing appetite for the Word of God, or, or, or does Netflix have your attention? By the way, I love Netflix. I'm not, I'm not knocking Netflix, but, but it's not going to take priority over my time in the Word. And when it does, and it has, then I'm going to make sure that I, I course correct. Why? Because I know it's the right way to go. Um, are you gossiping the gospel to your neighbor, or are you gossiping about your neighbor? Because that'd be foolish. 
right? Who's your neighbor? Everybody. Are you getting more serious about sin? Or have you started to pursue Christ-likeness? Have you stopped pursuing Christ-likeness and just said, ah, it's no big deal. I'm in Jesus. I wait for heaven. Understand, listen, that the heart determines the direction of life. Heart, the who you are, right? The center of who you are, right? Where is your heart is what he's asking us. Because listen, there are many foolish people around us. I don't mean right in this moment, but in this world. And there's so many people who do not fear God and live for themselves. If we could be real, it was all of us until you came to faith in Christ. And maybe some of us even after you did. Maybe some of you even now. See, some of us live with fools. We do. And, and their foolish behavior disrupts life at home. And it's sad, right? Some of us work with fools and their laziness oh, and their selfish demands and all these different things. They, they just make decision-making and, and the work environment horrible, right? We live in a world that applauds fools all day, every day, even, I mean, heck, they even worship them. Listen, I don't even want to sound like the old crotchety old guy, but like TikTok, if you ever just want to see foolishness, spend an afternoon and just watch it. Now, some of it's funny, right? Because I know like there's a couple people in here right now. They're like, hey, I like TikTok. It's okay if you like it. But if you want to see foolishness, it's just on display. And some of these people are what they call influencers, right? They make mad cash for being a fool, but it's, it's still foolish. So, so what are you to do? That's the question. Uh, by the way, I assume most of you are seeking wisdom. One wise step you made today is you came and gathered with God's people to hear God's word and to sing his praises. That's wisdom, right? Um, so what do you do? Well, the best way to deal with fools is not by sharing in their folly, but instead living by the Spirit. Okay? That's what it looks like. W what is wisdom? Wis wisdom is thinking like Jesus thinks. It's feeling what Jesus feels, right? So like when, 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 when Christ was walking the earth, he was grieved by sin. He, he hates sin. Right? He was grieved by it. He, he had tons of compassion. That's what it means to feel what Christ feels. When he sees a fool, he doesn't, he doesn't mock him. He seeks to serve and to love. And, and if need be, you might have to set boundaries up with a fool right? That would be wisdom. But we don't ever hate them. We don't mock them. That does nobody any good. We come along and we say, this way is right. This is where it's good to go. So once again, wisdom's thinking what Jesus thinks. It's feeling what Jesus feels. And it's obeying Jesus's commands with a humble heart by the power of the Spirit. This is what it means to live a wise life, right? Um, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus finished with this. And, and actually, every sermon should be finished this way in some sense. He says this in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine, he just preached a great sermon, probably one of the greatest, but he had a few, so who could tell? Um, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house, but it did not fall. Why? Because it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine, so everyone's in the service, they can hear, and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. He's not talking about houses, he's talking about your life. 
The question becomes, when you read that text, you have to interpret one thing to understand what he means. What does he mean by rock? You can answer that, but you'll probably be not real excited when I tell you you're probably wrong. Everybody says, Jesus. And I love when preachers say, if you say Jesus in church, you're always right. No, it's not actually true. Right? Who's the enemy of God? Jesus. No, that's wrong, Johnny. Right? If you say Jesus here, you're wrong too. And, and you could challenge me on this, but it makes no sense. Build your life on Jesus. No, he, what is the rock? Hearing and obeying the word of God. That's what he's saying. You want to build a strong foundation on your life, your life to build upon. What is a strong foundation? Hear the word, obey the word. Somehow, we got all jacked up on Mountain Dew in the church and made obedience like this bad word. Can I tell you something? God is infinitely wise, all-knowing, creator, knit you in your mother's womb, sent his son to die for you, loves you, is the author of unimaginable joy. At the right hand of the Father are pleasures forevermore. God desires you, listen, enjoy life with him. So his commands are not meant to be a killjoy. They are meant to increase true joy. And so when he commands you to do something, sometimes we think, oh, he's such a cruel taskmaster. He doesn't want me to enjoy my life. No, Jesus came that that you might have life and have life abundantly. How do you do that? Follow me. Well, what's it look like? Uh, I'll tell you what. Deny yourself. Mm, mm, No, no, Jesus, that doesn't sound that great. Uh, Pick up your cross. That definitely doesn't sound great, right? Because that's an instrument of death. And follow me. That doesn't sound like a great plan. I know. Trust me. Why would we do that? Because it's in that moment you actually find life. It's when you, you want to know what foolishness is? It's just loving you. That's all it is. Back to the self-help stuff. Remember at the beginning of the sermon, right? I see it all the time. By the way, the mantra, I get it. Just love yourself. Forgive yourself. It sounds nice. It's not biblical. It's the only problem with it. Forgive yourself. You didn't sin against you. You're not sovereign. What you need is forgiveness. And Jesus says, oh, I love to forgive. Come to me, all who are weak and weary. Cast your sin upon me, and I will forgive you. Trust me, I'll forgive all your sins, your past, your present, your future. As far as the east is to the west, they will be gone. You will be white as snow. Now trust me. Follow me. Where are you going? Everlasting life. I want to go with you. That's what it means. It's to know the word. Obey the word. And when you fail to obey, guess what? You don't start back at zero. Why? Because you have Christ. Listen, this is the beauty of the gospel. It's not that you are all wise and wonderful at obeying God's word. Although, can I tell you something? As we come to Christ, he desires that we become more like him. But that's getting one step too far ahead. So let's make sure we understand the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ is that Jesus died to save sinning fools from the wrath of God. How did he do that? He came, he put on flesh, and he lived the life that you and I could never in a trillion years live. He lived perfect obedience to the Father, okay? And he loved nonstop. We think, man, we just love everybody. On our best day, we don't love everyone perfectly. But Christ loves perfectly. And so he lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. 
And he willingly went to a cross because that was the Father's plan from the beginning, before the beginning, before the foundation of the earth, to die a death that you and I deserve to die. Why? Because we're sinners by nature and by choice. We've rebelled against God in a trillion ways. If you would just take the time to look and to see your life is one big blazing trail of a rebellion against the Holy God. And instead of crushing you, he sent his son to be crushed in your place. Jesus became an enemy so that enemies like us could become children of God. How? By faith. By trusting in this good news. And so Jesus takes upon all our sin in that moment, past, present, future, sin, sin you've not even committed yet, and he received the wrath of God in your place, and then he gives you a perfect righteousness. As what? As a gift. And how do you receive it? By grace by faith, and you trust in this, this good news. And in that moment, what happens is you're fully forgiven, fully and finally. It's not just do something, it's, it's finished. And you get a perfect righteousness. And why this matters is because not only does he wipe away all your record of debt, but he gives you Jesus' perfect life. And so now the Father looks at you, guess what, ready? With delight. With delight. Even in your foolishness. Why? Because he loves his children. He loves his children. And so even when you're foolish as a follower of Jesus Christ, he doesn't say, oh, you make me so sick. I wish I could just cast you out of my presence. He says, oh, son, oh, daughter, I see you. I see you struggling. And I'm here for you. I, I got you. Trust me. Trust me. Follow me. This is the way to life. You can trust me. Oh, I don't know. I'm scared. No, trust me. Remember what my son has done for you. And guess what? He doesn't leave you alone. He gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And see, here's the beauty of the gospel. It's not that just Jesus died for you, but he rose for you. He rose for you. He resurrected from the grave, showing that death no more, it has no more claim on you. And therefore, you have life with God. How? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And now he empowers you, listen, to walk a life of wisdom. Of wisdom. That's what it means to be a disciple. So listen, true wisdom begins with humbly submitting our lives to Christ. And by the way, who's, he is our constant source and supply by the power of the Spirit. Um, and, and that way, instead of being known by folly, you can be known by the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, through 26 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Listen, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, thinking we're the all-wise one, provoking one another, envying one another. Wisdom means not everyone's at the same place along the road. They might still be foolish, but if they're in Christ, <laughs> oh, they have the wisdom of God covering them forever. And so we seek to love them and point them to the way that is right. Because only, only in Christ can we... Man, we're born into folly. Um, we, we increase in our foolishness. We're on a crash course towards destruction. But in Christ, we can be set free for wisdom and ultimate life. So the question is, have you trusted him? It's, that is the wisest thing you can do. 
It's the wisest thing you can do, is to trust in Jesus. Um, I'm going to read one more text, and we'll, we'll, we'll finish up. It says in Titus 3.3, 3, we ourselves were once foolish. I, I think sometimes we forget this, especially, listen, I think there's a temptation that if, if you've grown up around church and in a Jesus-loving home, and praise God for that. If that's your story, man, that's a great testimony. They're all great because you go from death to life. Um, but if that's your story, if you got saved at seven, you're still full. You were, you're surrounded with foolishness. You, you thought the ways of God were stupid, right? We ourselves were once foolish, you and me, all of us, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But Jesus, who is wisdom himself, saved us. Saved us. God saved us through the foolishness of the gospel, you tell the, the gospel to people, to the world, and they think it's the craziest thing. So what you're telling me is you're trusting a man who lived 2,000-some years ago, died naked upon a cross, got spit upon, went to a grave, resurrected three days later. That's where you put your hope. You absolutely better believe that's where I'm putting my hope. I'm glad to say I'm a fool for Christ. It may look foolish to the world, but, but listen, listen. There is no other way to live a life of wisdom to follow Christ. Becoming a Jesus follower, then, yeah, it's, it's foolishness in the world. Why? Because it embraces morality that the world looks at and says is stupid. It embraces an identity that's not built on you, your good looks, your job, your marriage, your kids, or this or that. It's built upon a man named Jesus. And, and its value system is way out of step with the rest of the world, and it's not deemed cool by those who are trending in life or trenders. And I get made fun of for that, but that's funny. Are you willing to be full for Christ? Do you know what I mean? To the world. It's not foolish. It's wise. And if so, then I want you to know, be a holy, happy, hope-filled Jesus full. Who cares what the world says? But seek to love them. Do you find your identity in him? If so, if you're a Jesus man or woman, listen, you'll find your identity in Christ. Right? You will associate with the people of the church. Oh, they're not that cool. You're not either, right? You speak his name to other people. Why? Because you love them more than you love your comfort, right? You, you lean upon him for all your hope, not, not your job, not your world. You submit to his word above all else the best as you can. And when you don't, listen, the life of a Christian is this. It's repentance and faith. That's, that's it. None of you have arrived. I have not arrived. And until we die or Jesus returns, we're going to look at the word and we're going to say, I'm out of step. I need to turn from that and turn to God and, and, and trust him once again. That, that is the life of a Christian. It's one of stumbling forward. That's it. That's it. And here's the good news. Your good shepherd has promised no one will snatch you from his hand and he will get you to the finish line. That's the good news. And so I hope that you will trust in Jesus and his word because only in Jesus can we have true wisdom. And, and listen, that way we don't have to mock folly, but like, this is for my buddy Mark that's in the room, but we can actually pity the fool, right? He likes Mr. T. Um, it's for him. It's all for you, Mark. Um, he would have me say it in that pity the fool. But, <laughs> but, but they don't actually need pity. They, they don't. What they need is, is they need 
They need love and grace. They need truth. They need truth brought to them. And if you won't bring it, then who will? So receive that good news and share that good news. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. Because at times it, it may even seem foolishness to us, but it is true. It's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It does pierce the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It discerns our thoughts and our attentions. And so, Lord, I pray that if you have brought about any understanding of foolishness that doesn't align with you and your goodness to us right now, that it would be like a stone in our shoe. And until we, we turn from that and t- to sit down on the curb, take the stone out and start walking with you again, I pray it would increasingly become uncomfortable. Why? Because life with you is the best place to be. And we need so much help to do that. And so thankfully, you've promised to give us a helper in the, in the work of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would lead us in truth, lead us in wisdom, lead us in guidance, and, and help us to magnify the great name of Jesus with our lives. We ask this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons Find out more information about For the City or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.